A career in space science can be a long and winding road. You're listening to Western Worlds. Hello and welcome back for another conversation here on Western Worlds. My name is John Kissy and I'm coming to you this week as every week from the Centre for Planetary Science and Exploration at Western University in London, Ontario, Canada. The path to a career in space science is often an eventful one that can lead to a wide range of experience and adventure. This week we talked to Bernard Fuong about his career in space science and current position as Chief Scientist at the European Space Agency and Executive Director of the International Lunar and Exploration Working Group. Let's go to the interview. Well, I'm here at uh, the European Space Technology and Research Centre in Nordwijk in the Netherlands. I'm speaking with uh, Bernard Fuong. Hello, welcome to ESSEC. From the European Space Agency, I'm Bernard Frank. So I am a chief scientist and also an explorer at ESA. Maybe you could give us a little bit of background on yourself. Yeah. So I was born in Europe, uh, France, uh, to, to be clear, in the south of France. And I studied uh, mostly in France. And um, so I uh, then uh, entered a, a school, uh, Ecole Normale Superieure, that's a school that is uh, forming uh, professors from universities or researchers. And in this frame, I also uh, studied uh, physics. So I was professor of physics for some time, and I studied astrophysics and rocket engineering. Now aerospace engineering. Uh, this is my major. I also studied as minor music, and this has always accompanied me all my life as well. Um, now, um, I, after my uh, study in physics, I did a, a PhD in astrophysics and uh, rocket uh, engineering, where um, I did some work in the French uh, space laboratory, but in a collaboration with an American laboratory from Lockheed Palo Alto Research Laboratories. And so for my PhD, we had to launch a sounding rocket from White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico. And uh, I started with data which were obtained during this uh, sounding rocket, so just uh, 15 minutes l- launched, 5 minutes of data above the atmosphere to observe the sun in the ultraviolet. And these were, at that time, the best images of the sun in the ultraviolet light, in the light of Lyman Alpha, in the light of uh, um, the layers of the chromosphere and the corona of the sun. Now, I um, also spent the last year of my PhD in the U.S., sometime in New Mexico. I was also in, uh, so near Stanford, in uh, Colorado University, and I finished in Harvard Observatory to analyze all this data. After I defended my uh, PhD in a space laboratory, I went for three years to serve uh, in the European Southern Observatory. That's in Chile where you have a large uh, amount of telescopes. Uh, I worked on the sun first for my PhD, but in Chile, I moved to the study of stars, stars looking like the sun, looking at signs of activity, stellar activity, magnetism of of stars, flares on stars. And um, I spent uh, um, three years there, where I had to also serve the community. I was support astronomers for uh, guest visitors coming to the 
the observatory called LACIA, that 2,500 meters altitude. So we are telling them how to use photometers, uh, spectrometers, various instruments uh, for their program. And also I did perform my research there. So I moved from the sun to stars. And then I, I was hired for a permanent position in France. Also I, I, I had the position of professor uh, uh, of physics. And I started to develop some uh, project where we studied stellar activity, but also we were preparing instruments for the Solar Heliospheric Observatory. Uh, observatory that we celebrate now, it was 20 years in space, uh, just uh, uh, this week. Um, and I was involved in some of these experiments uh, there, built in this uh, laboratory in, in uh, France, Laboratoire de Physique Stellaire and Planetaire, Physics uh, of uh, Planets and Stars. And um, I spent um, okay, a few years uh, there, and then I was invited to come to Estec, and I started to develop some uh, research program here. A few years later, I was uh, um, hired, uh, seconded from France to work at ESA, uh, starting as a staff scientist, then I became a research unit coordinator, head of research, and uh, chief scientist. And also I was um, put in charge of some uh, space project that were developed at ESA. The first project was SOHO, where I contributed to some instrument, and uh, I had also very strong interest in putting observatories on the moon. I organized a number of workshops, conferences to put observatories on the moon. Um, then, for some reason, they, they declared me lunar expert. And, <laughs> and uh, then uh, I was put in uh, charge of a study of a lunar orbiter, which was called the Moon Observing uh, 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 Laboratory, MORO. And then we designed a new class of mission called SMART One, Small Mission for Advanced Research in Technology, that was designed to test technology for the future, technologies of propulsion, technologies of inst uh, instrument miniaturization, and of spacecraft. And we found that a very good way to test these technologies was to have a mission to the moon. This was Smart One, so they called me the father of Smart One, um, which means that the one that did most of the work was a mother. <laughs> this was the project engineer manager, that's a very good colleague, Giuseppe Raka, and we had a very dedicated team that in two years and a half developed this Smart One probe to the moon, so a small spacecraft of uh, 380 kilos, using only solar power to uh, produce uh, ion and uh, using the ion engine to um, go to the moon with a fuel efficiency five times better than chemical propulsion with a travel time so we launched in 2003 it took it took uh, only 60 liters of fuel to go from earth's orbit to the moon so we broke a guinness book of record first one and then the second one it took us 18 months to go there we get uh, the record of the longest travel to the moon <laughs> but when we uh, um, were on our way there we tested some new instrument miniature camera the size of a human eye an infrared spectrometer only two kilo uh, of the, uh, weight two kilogram an x-ray spectrometer uh, some advanced uh, microwave instrument and uh, various uh, uh, subsystem of spacecraft, and when we arrive at the moon, we try to 
measure the moon for science and exploration. That's very interesting. The SMART-1 mission was technology testing mission. So you seem to have a lot of components on that uh, spacecraft that were at the beginning stages of their usefulness. So you went over them, there was the ion engine, the various instruments. The technology we wanted to demonstrate so that they could be used in future missions. Yeah, but also we wanted to demonstrate on a case where we could provide meaningful results for scientists. And so we had also embarked some instruments measuring the optical, the infrared, the x-ray, the composition of the surface of the moon. And uh, we had also um, new methodologies. We have a new uh, technologies, for instance, of uh, communication on board the spacecraft or communication with the Earth, but also new methods of working. Because, uh, of course, small means that we had to, uh, to develop a mission in a very short time scale and also with controlled budget. So the total budget of mission was 100 million euro. So, and, and we had to, to build that on quite a complex mission, but still within this budget. Can you tell me what the difference is compared to, say, working on a mission where the technology is known? Yeah, it was very uh, okay, very challenging because we wanted to use uh, quite a new technologies so that uh, this would be validated for the for the future. But uh, we wanted also it to work, so we had to do a lot of tests uh, on the ground. We had to uh, exert a lot of control on how the mission was designed to have also some redundancy, uh, not uh, to have a good chance of success. Mm-hmm. And it was also a new method of working between uh, scientists and engineers, where we had to make some good compromise, convince the engineers of the science we wanted to do, and understand the engineering limitations, so that we cannot always have Christmas tree uh, <laughs> uh, sent uh, to the planet. So it was a very good also uh, team uh, uh, team experience with a very good uh, team. They were young at that time. Now we are twenty years older, but still they have continuing with uh, this enthusiasm and uh, trying to uh, also for low cost to use our creativity to make uh, things happen. Now um, we had the phase of development, the, the launch, the long uh, cruise but we, that we used to demonstrate all the instruments and the arrival at, at the moon where we made some discoveries in particular on the composition of the moon or we found places at the pole of the moon which are always in shadow and possibly covered with ice and also places which are almost always in sunlight where you could in the future put some landers using solar power and at the end uh, we had also we went out of fuel and uh, so we had to crash on the surface of the moon and we were able to organize a campaign where we could observe this from um, um, from Earth, from the Canada-France Hawaii Telescope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we could observe the, the, the flash and debris clouds from the impact. Now, at that time, Europe was only a region that had a mission on the moon. And this was a start to put us as a focal point to enter into collaboration with other countries. We were approached by the Japanese, then by the Chinese, by the Indian by the American uh, to have access to our data and our experience. And we built at that time an international lunar exploration working group, a forum between space agencies and stakeholders interested in lunar exploration, where we organized regularly large conferences, exchange of information between technical experts about their mission, about the science, and also about program to engage the 
the young lunar explorers, the young professional and the public into exploration. And so we formed this group and um, they elected me president of this group for two years and then I have served on this group as a executive director since uh, 2002. So what was it like being the chairman of the group, especially considering what we're talking about here is getting out data that is the first of its kind mm -hmm. to be used by other people. Are there any particular difficulties or interesting points that you came across in in being in charge of a group that, that everybody was coming to for their information? Yeah, I mean, uh, the challenge from the uh, smart one was a very, very complex mission, technically. Um, we were very ambitious about some goals and uh, we had very limited money. And so, uh, so always we had to find ways to work harder than you would need uh, in order to achieve some of the objectives. Um, it's an international setup. Huh? For instance, uh, on the mission itself, the spacecraft, all countries from Europe were involved. In the instrument, we had like seven countries uh, strongly involved. We also opened this instrument to participation from countries outside uh, Europe, even from Asia or from the, from the US. Uh, and um, it was uh, always an asset to have this passion for science and technology, but also develop some skills to talk to people from different uh, cultures and involve them. And, um, and we created a kind of big family of, uh, of lunar exploration over the world where we had our hour of glory when we were around the orbit around the, the moon. The Chinese asked us, oh, can we communicate with your spacecraft? And we uh, allowed them to communicate with it. And this way they could demonstrate their ground station that later they used for their own lunar mission, Chang'e 1, Chang'e 2, or the lander Chang'e 3. We did the same with other countries, Japan. On, with India, we um, improved three of instruments that we had on board Smart One and we put them on a mission developed by India called the Chandrayaan-1. I see, so that's, a, that's an instance where you've taken actual engineering, like hardware, and you've, you've improved on it and then contributed. Yeah, we contributed to the general uh, worldwide uh, quest. Now, my role on this was the science director of this mission. So I had also to bring with me uh, the, the science and exploration use. Uh, so I had to defend uh, always to have enough resources that we could perform some of the minimum science, at least to start to, to, to get some of the first uh, results, to be able to operate also the, the instrument uh, and to um, also to plan the uh, timeline of instrument operation to perform some of the goals. So we had the overarching scientific goals, measurements defined, and we tried also to develop a, a matrix of results that we could obtain. We had to work also on the putting the data in a format that could be accessible to the community using the Planetary Science Archive or DPS uh, uh, system. And, um, and uh, also it was a very interesting test bench to develop at ESA an expertise to operate planetary mission. Uh, as we just started around that time, also we had the Mars Express mission where I have been involved as co-investigator of the high-resolution stereo camera which from the point of view of science was much more powerful than the small instrument we had on board Smart One. Smart One, we had six instruments for a total mass of 20 kilograms. So mm -hmm. very miniature, so quite limited in performance, but 
just we are lucky to be the first of their kind yeah. in an orbit. But for instance, on Mars Express, we had very advanced uh, scientific mature instrument like a stereo camera, we had an infrared spectrometer. And actually, I would say most of my scientific research result I've obtained on Mars research. But uh, the lunar research has used uh, missions starting from a, a smart one, but also some of these uh, international mission and now the US uh, mission in the future, the commercial mission. So they, we have uh, had a, a contribution from many spacecraft in a moon science and exploration. While from the Mars side, I would say, what we have done with the Mars Express mission uh, that uh, has been uh, 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 flying for 12 years uh, now has changed completely our views of Mars. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today. Thank yeah. you very much. No, but in any case, we are very uh, happy to have you and we are also looking forward to the next generation of uh, scientists, engineers, explorers, innovators, artists, lawyers, managers that can support us in uh, space. We have a, a number of training programs at ISA. We had uh, the Young Water Training Program where you have been here. I've met uh, you before, but uh, postdoc program and also in uh, various institutes in the member state of ISA, and that includes Canada. And we have also big opportunities in industries huh? because a large amount of our workforce in the industry. And it's always good to have a, uh, this background and in science, technology, exploration, even for industry career. So we are looking forward to see, uh, okay, the Western uh, uh, student and also our other friends from Canada uh, visiting us at Estec. You're always welcome. You're listening to Western Worlds. Let's go through the discussion. Well, that was a really interesting interview with Bernard. Partially, what did you think about that interview in general? Oh, I loved it. I loved the the kinds of research that he did. He put his foot in like almost everything I can think of. You know, from stars to moon to sun and <laughs> everything you can think of. I would, you know, love to have the career path that he did because you know you get to study more than one thing and everything is interesting space. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, you want to, like, kind of get a slice of everything. So I, I had fun listening to his interview and, like, to, you know, just listen to all these different places that he went and all these different things that he was able to do. And, and I love how he was just put into things to do. Like, he went from, like, studying sun to being like, oh, I was just given moon to study, so now I guess I'm a moon expert, yeah, right? Exactly. It was fascinating to see how many opportunities he had and how different they were and didn't matter to have an expertise in a single area as long as you know how things work in terms of research like you can jump from one area to another and just carry that expertise with you even though you might not be moon expert in the start but eventually you'll get there and you know how to get there from your previous experience so i love that part and his resume seems to quote pages and pages long yeah it's kind of an intimidating resume actually if you think about it cv intimidating cv i mean he's a very interesting fellow i find i had the luck to work with him on a couple of different things back in the days when i was in europe i found the interview just talking to him and finding out what his actual background was just very very interesting i can kind of relate to what he's done because i've also kind of bounced around quite a lot and done a few different things here and there mm -hmm. i mean obviously not to the kind of prodigal level that he has 
and I certainly don't have the fantastic job that he has. <laughs> uh, although my job is fantastic. But, but certainly, he's a very interesting guy. And also, there's something about him that I think is very important to point out, which is that he's got a very... Um, it's, it's, you can tell from talking to him, it's, it's his nature. He's very... He's, he's clearly very positive. He's very inquisitive. He's very curious. He's interested in the way things work. And he's interested... What I found talking to him, he was interested in talking about the things that he was doing. He's a very good communicator. Yeah. And very willing to discuss the things that he's done in the past and how that's led to where he is now and, and where he's driving, where his driving force is going now. And it's not so much, I found from talking to him that he's very, he's kind of very directed, like he's decided now to go in this direction. And so that's also really interesting. He's got a real personal drive and a love for this area. And that really came through in talking to him. Yeah, I love, you know, he was talking about collaborations and stuff and how he had to work with other places and how they came to, you know, ask for expertise and things to help out each other, which I love because in space, there's so many things that individuals have, or in terms of agencies, have this expertise that you basically share and collaborate with other people. It's more about collaboration than anything. So there's no one agency or company that can do everything. Pull strings from everywhere, I guess. That's yeah, what I'm trying exactly, to say. Exactly, yeah. You've got, and to, you've got to really pull people from all different areas come together to achieve... A common what, goal, yeah. yeah. Just come with a goal. And that's something that's, in terms of space area, space science, space engineering, that's where I think one of the areas that it happens the most. You know? Yeah. And I loved listening about the smart one um, mission that he was talking about yeah. and, you know, curating a Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, and, exactly, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm pretty sure they weren't, like, intending to do it. <laughs> like, yeah. it wasn't their, their first thing their on their priority. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It wasn't yeah. their first priority or anything, but it's kind of neat to have expertise in a mission that lasted that long or yeah. then, unique in a way. And the ramifications of it, of course, was it led to data from that mission, led to the development of systems from many other missions. Yeah. And led to, like, there were several missions where ideas that were based on that core idea kind of span off and became mm-hmm. other things. So even though at the time it was a, it was a small mission, mm-hmm. it did a lot of things that were, you know, ahead of its time, breakthrough things. And that's something that's really worth noting. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's also something that Bernard likes to do. He likes to do new things. Yeah, he's a pioneer, right? (laughs) And yeah, that's why he was able to, like, you know, step into so many different directions because he has the drive to do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and like, as I said before, like, you don't need to be an expert as long as you ask questions and you carry that same experience with you. You know, it brings you into a new area, but then you know how to go around with it. Which is what I love about space science and technology is that you collaborate, you, you're you not the expert of everything, and you know, you have, you collaborate with other people, you come up with things, and you have people with different skills and different backgrounds that come together to make one mission possible. I like that. That's our show for this week. Western Worlds is a production of the Centre for Planetary Science and Exploration. This episode was produced by John Kissy and Parshley Patel and featured an interview by co-host John Kissy. Our roundtable discussion featured co-host John Kissy and our editors were John Kissy and Parshley Patel and I'm John Kissy. Our theme music is Helio Sheath by Sean Kim. 
You can continue the conversation online and listen to past episodes or learn more about Western Wales by visiting our website at cpsx.uwa.ca slash westernworlds. We're also available on Twitter and Facebook for contact. On behalf of everybody here at Western Worlds, I'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. I hope you can join us again next time, right here on Western Worlds. Thank you.